After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome once again, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast live from the brand new. Still somewhat under construction, Baseball America Worldwide Headquarters. I'm John Manuel, joined this morning by J.J. Cooper, so we will not have to check our levels. This will be the loudest <laughs> podcast. I think everybody who listens to these fastest these talking. Fastest talking, loudest podcast combination at Baseball America, where the uh, podcast crew keeps evolving. J.J., uh, interesting week in baseball this week, uh, obviously dwarfed by the Baseball America move uh, from downtown Durham to South Durham, South South Durham as a... Well, I, if I could pronounce that, South South Durham, but uh, very close to the Polish market and the uh, Insco's wholesale meats. For those of you who are very familiar with Durham, it, it, which is a nice perk. You know, if you want a pierogi, now we have somewhere to go. That's we, right. have, we have we have had no pierogi options before, but uh, <laughs> it has been an interesting perk. week, though. I mean, and one of the nice benefits of the new Baseball America offices is that we actually have TV in it now. Which I know that sounds crazy, considering that you know. We cover baseball, but where we were downtown, we couldn't have cable or really satellite. It was ridiculous. And so because of that, we couldn't like, hey, Justin Masterson's making his debut. Well, still, we couldn't watch any of it. I now, still haven't watched last year's draft show. I've still never seen Jim Callis on the ESPN draft show. I have, to, I have the DVD. Have That's pitiful that I've never seen it. But it is something where, you know, now Justin Masterson makes his debut. Hook your head in. You know, hey, let's see, you know, what he's looking like. You know, watch a little Johnny Cueto yesterday. That's... Definitely a, a nice thing. part of our job that's going to help our, you know, help our, you know, help our job. It's going to save our, it's going to save my TiVo. I won't have to use my TiVo nearly as often because I'll actually be able to watch uh, some of that here at Baseball America. So uh, we're still uh, the podcast room. We're actually going to have a room dedicated to new media, podcasting, hopefully video down the line. But we don't have that room ready yet. So right now we're in the conference room. We'll let go. Bear with us during this transition period, but we do appreciate the download. We've got plenty of emails to get to at podcast at baseballamerica.com from consistent emailers and from some new ones too. So we thank all the everyone for listening and for sending in the questions. JJ, let's get right to the biggest news of the week in baseball, which was Cincinnati Reds making a change in their general manager job. You've done the Reds top 30 for the last couple of years. I've been the Reds top 30 in the past, uh, so we've dealt with a couple of different general managers. So we've dealt with a couple of different scouting directors, different farm directors. Um, there's been a lot of change with the Reds over the, over the years, and now Walt Jockety is in charge as general manager. Now, and there's a couple – first, let's contrast him with the last few GMs that have been there. The Reds, in a lot of people's minds, are still kind of like the house that Jim Bowden built, which right. is kind of scary. But the, the Maybe, biggest – Even though there's really not – but the two biggest name players on the team are Jim Bowden guys, Griffey mm-hmm. and Dunn. That's still he true. was the GM when they drafted Adam Dunn, and he was the GM who engineered the King Griffey trade. So his fingerprints are still prominent on that club. Both those guys are getting ready to be free agents. But So maybe then finally Jim Bowden's uh, fingerprints will be off the team. But they're still there. Uh, then you had uh, O'Brien, who had been yeah, an O'Brien. assistant GM, I believe, in Texas. I don't believe he'd ever been a... I think he was a first-time Major League GM. I think so, too. And Wayne Krimsky, who succeeded him, was also a first-time Major League GM. And, and Jim Bowden also had been. The, the Reds were his first general manager's job. He'd come up as an intern in their PR department. 
Now they're going in a very different direction. Uh, Walt Jockety <laughs> is, is not a first-time GM. No, he's a baseball guy. He is a long-time baseball guy. And that's not to say that's Krisky and all that. Right. So was Wayne Krisky, and O'Brien's dad was a GM, so um, he kept it in the family. But Walt Jockety has been there and done that. There's nothing that's new to the job. has the rings to, you know. Exactly. Has the ring to prove it. Also has the, uh, I believe he was the scouting director in the 1978 uh, Oakland A's draft when they didn't have a scouting department, when Charlie Finley had fired everybody, and they basically drafted off a bureau list and... uh, uh, brought their high school players straight to the big leagues, and it was quite a. It was Charlie O'Finley. It was a circus. So, so Walt Jockety's seen a little bit of everything in the game. What do you think of the move? I guess uh, you know the timing of it's certainly curious. But what do you? Th- why do you think the move was made in mid to late April? Well, you got to remember, you know, owner Bob Castellini came from the Cardinals, so he had a previous relationship with Jockety. Sure. And really, I mean, it's pretty clear now that the moment they brought in Walt Jockety as an advisor, and they said at the time, oh, no, no, this is nothing about Wayne Krisky, you know, or anything. It was. They were, the reality of it was is that, you know, maybe if the Reds had gone out to a 15-0 start, that Krisky could somehow keep, could essentially postpone the time that Jockety becomes the general manager. But it's really hard to believe at this point that the plan all along was not at some point that Walt Jockety was going to be the GM. And Wayne Krivsky, essentially, the bad news for him was is that, hey, we have the opportunity to have Walt Jockey as our GM, and we're going to take that, and I'm sorry, but that means you're not going to have the job. Because the reality is, is that if Jockey had been available at, you know, at the time of the hiring of Krivsky, right. Walt Jockey would have been the Reds' GM. That's exactly, that, that's a great point. If, as soon as Walt Jockey became available with his track record and the ties that uh, he has the ownership it just makes perfect sense that he's going to be the GM sooner than later. He has the rings to prove it, like you said, that he's a good general manager. Uh, the Cardinals uh, are still mostly his ball club, and they're first place in the National League Central right now. So there's that element to it. I think Walt Jockety's probably got a little stick it to the Cardinals element there because the Cardinals' basically ownership kind of picked Jeff Lunau over yeah. Walt Jockety. A, I mean, it wasn't that cut and dry. But there was a rift in the organization. Certainly. They said they had to heal the rift. And to heal the rift, they essentially went with the younger guy. Exactly. And they went with the guy who was building the farm system mm-hmm. and not the guy who built the major league team, which is and, amazing. But at the same time, the thing you can say about Jockey, if you if you wanted to have a criticism about him in St. Louis, and you know it's a criticism, his approach in St. Louis was never to build through the farm system. But the question I have in Cincinnati is, Cincinnati can really has to build through the farm system because... St. Louis has more resources. In, in, you know, he did trades, but he also would go out there, I mean, in St. Louis, and he could sign a free agent to fill a hole. Right. There's the question, how much of that can you do in Cincinnati? I mean, Cincinnati has a chance. I mean, it was a great baseball town. Right. It seems like they should be very similar. Midwestern towns, long history of Major League Baseball, but the traditional Cardinals, franchise, but, but the Cardinals have done more with their tradition. And, and also the Cardinals, having lived up in, I lived, you know, for a little while up in uh, basically North Tennessee, yeah. and you're kind of at Tennessee, Kentucky, I mean, five miles from the Kentucky state line. That's Cardinal country. The really? thing that, that is as much Cardinal country as Braves country. KMOX. KMOX, if you go way back, basically... The Cardinals were the team. I mean, you got to remember, you go way back. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. this is way before either of us. Well, back in the 50s. The Cardinals was, was essentially the western right. edge 
of, you know, of basically baseball. And so essentially, you have this long time ties for a massive area. The Reds don't have that. Yeah, the Reds are an uh, Ohio-Kentucky team. Which is crazy, because WLW was a big deal. And you had right. the big red machine when baseball really was coming in. You know, the biggest World Series of all time, 1975. The Reds are in that and winning that. I mean, you would seem to have reason to have a bigger following for the Reds. But I agree with you. They don't They don't seem to have that national at, thing. I wonder if that's because WLW is like lunatic fringe radio but, as well. But that's but also like, if you look that's at another it, podcast. But if you look at it, I mean, like, Cardinals fans also are some of the best fans. True. Nothing in Cincinnati fans, but Cincinnati, basically, they have, they have not had a winner in a long time, which... Never helps your attendance. And that's the thing. To me, it's more that the Reds have pretty much, uh, with the exception of the 1990 club, uh, they've pretty much been, for the last 30 years since the Big Red Machine, they've still been, A, living in the shadow of the Big Red Machine, and B, the Pete Rose controversy. They're still so tied to the past as a franchise, as a fan base. Um, maybe Wal Jockety is the guy who can make them a consistent winner so their fans can live in the present and not live in the past. But the point I want to make about this move this week, I mean, it is puzzling a little bit the timing. Their move, not our move. Their move. Okay. Their move. The, the Reds' move is that, you know, the, the reason given was is that, hey, you know, started off poorly, we have to make a change, we have to start winning. And they were 9-12 at the time. That's, that's which, the part that's strange. Which, three games under five hundred, twenty, you know, basically 21 games into the season – is not, I mean, if you believe that was the actual reason, then the Reds' ownership hit the panic button in a way that is laughable. Correct. That's not the reason. Correct. They had to give a reason. The reality of it is, is that, you know what, Wayne Krinsky did not deserve, if you look, to me, if you look at the overall totality of what he did, you can't say that Wayne Krinsky deserved to be fired. You Correct. can say... Walt Jockety, we believe, is a better GM, and so that's why we're giving him the job. But you can't say he did anything that deserved to get him fired. The, the, right the giant knock against Wayne Krinsky during his time in you know Cincinnati was that he is overpaid consistently yeah. for middle relievers. That's that's very And true. he has done that. I mean, there's no real argument on that. He He's certainly not alone among Major League General Managers. Right. But he is, the bad news for him is, is that he's overpaid for guys who have not... Rewarded him for his overpaying. Yeah, and not just in terms of money. It would almost be better if he just overpaid in terms of money as opposed to overpaying in terms of players. He's done a little bit of both. He's done a little bit of both. He did, you know, obviously the big trade early on where Austin Kearns, Felipe Lopez for Bill Bray and Gary Majewski. And basically, the reality of this is that that trade hasn't, I mean, it's worked out terribly for the Reds because as of right now, the Reds essentially have gotten nothing out of it yeah, except for Daryl Thompson who's pitching well in AA. All the guys they got are in the minor leagues right now. Majeski start off the, uh, at least Unless they're gone. Majeski, yeah. Bray, and Thompson. The funny thing is, is Brendan Harris ended up being probably, right now, has been the most productive major leaguer out of that. But the problem is, is that he's been productive for the Rays, and now he's up in you know Minnesota. It's not something where he's productive yeah. for the Reds. No, you're right. And the thing is, when, the, when they made that trade, you know, the Reds were like, well, Austin Kearns, maybe if we get Kearns away from Adam Dunn, Adam Dunn finally you know, becomes the player we think he, we think he can be. And the Reds still have this dissatisfaction with Adam Dunn. He's a, very pol- he's a polarizing player. He's having a crappy year so far this year as well, J.J. Yeah. Not right now, but the reality is, is that when the year's over. Yeah. If you look at, uh, he's gonna have his nine fifty. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say when the year's over, I do think poking, you know, like pointing a finger at Adam Dunn is something that bad franchises do a lot of times. Is it's like I agree. Point your finger at your really good players. Yeah, it's like no. If you had, you know, I'm not saying if you had nine Adam Dunn's or eight Adam Dunn's because if you had eight Adam Dunn's, you'd have no defense at all. And yeah, but no, <laughs> I see your point. But you know, but 
if you look at what Krisky did overall, I mean, that is a knock. You know, he overpaid Mike Stanton, and then they cut him. You know, I mean, you know, stuff like that. But if you look at it overall, the Reds right now are in the best shape that they've been in in a decade. And the guys who, in my mind, have been the most responsible for that are really Terry Reynolds, uh, first a scouting director, then his farm director. Uh, most of these guys, you know, he didn't draft Joey Votto. Joey Votto's been around for a while. But the guys that he drafted are guys like Homer Bailey and Jay Bruce. I mean, he, and, not, he had two drafts. He drafted Homer Bailey and he drafted Jay Bruce. And pretty good. If, if you don't, I mean, I know Homer's not in the big leagues right now, but you still right now his value is such that if you wanted to, you could get a lot for him. And, and Johnny Almaraz is also not there, and that's the guy who they restarted their Latin American program with, and Johnny Cueto's got all this buzz. I mean, and, and then, then Chris Buckley has done a nice job as well drafting the last couple of years. And you also got to give credit to Krisky. Like, if you look at it right now, the trades they did, yes, the big trade that, you know, he gets ripped for, he also traded Jeff Stevens for Brandon Phillips. All right. Jeff Stevens for Brandon Phillips ranks as one of the heists it's of the last good. couple of years. And Jeff Stevens is actually still a decent prospect. Right. But, but Brandon, Brandon Phillips is a 30-30 middle infielder. That's you're, you're, If you can find one of those you know, and pick them up, essentially, Absolutely. at the time it was for a player to be named, yeah. that's you know, that's a good deal. And if you look at it, you know, he's brought in, I mean, they're pitching right now. Now, he picked up, they picked up, you know. Yeah, the Josh, Josh Hamilton and Vol- Volquez trade could be uh, a, win-win. a win-win. It should be a win-win. Right now it is a win-win. And Josh I mean, Hamilton for nothing, basically, in the Rule 5 draft. And that's, uh, again, their scouting department. Uh, Chris Buckley responsible for a little bit of that pick as well. So, I mean, they, they, there's, they've done good things. Like you said, Wayne Krisky's track record is not really what got him fired. In my opinion, what got him fired was while Jockety got fired in St. Louis. Basically, got pushed out in St. Louis. And hey, we have a chance, and we're going to take you know we're going to take Walt Jockety. And now the thing we we'll have to see is is that we talk about the timing. The interesting thing with the timing now is okay, this move happened essentially at a everything's set. You've got a you know your scouting department is out there you know and they're putting together you know basically their draft board. Your farm system is you know rolling through the season. Well. Usually when a new GM comes in, you know, he, they're going to bring in their guys. Right. Well, you know, Jockey's been there a little while. I mean, I, I can imagine, you know, when Krinsky came in, he brought in his guys. But Terry Reynolds, he kept, and he moved yeah. over in our position. The question here is, is you know, do you, do you make moves when you've got – I mean, it's really hard to argue with what, you know, basically two of your key lieutenants you Absolutely. Know, have, are, done. have done. I mean, Chris Buckley's done great drafts. And, you know, Terry Reynolds is, you know, the farm system's been productive. And the thing is, the guy who ran scouting and player development a lot of the times uh, the, uh, for Walt Jockett in St. Louis, John Mozalock is now the general manager there, and Bruce Mano is still over in St. Louis. I don't think those guys are, right, are so, headed anywhere. So I, I don't know that there's guys, I mean, maybe a Martise Robinson is a guy who comes along in Cincinnati. That was a guy who, a former Seton Hall first baseman who was in pro scouting for the Cardinals. Maybe that's a guy who ends up being a Walt Jockety guy. But I'm not sure which of Walt Jockety's trusted lieutenants he brings with him. And Chris Buckley's got a pretty long track record uh, as a cross-checker and then sky director with Toronto. Now he's done uh, well in Cincinnati. And Terry Reynolds, like you said, didn't have a great track record with the Dodgers, but his track record with his two years of the Reds sky director, pretty doggone good. And now he's been the good soldier going over to farm director and running that department. And, hey, in the two years, I mean, you've got to remember, it's not that long ago that when we talked about the Reds farm system, the, the, the overriding theme was, 
And another pitcher got hurt. Exactly. I mean, and another pitcher got and hurt. And they went through about right a seven-year span where it seemed like if you were a Reds pitching prospect, it was basically like being a drummer in Spinal Tap. Chris I mean, <laughs> you, were, you were basically done. Chris Gruller was a, a stumpy Joe. Chris Gruller, Bobby. Yeah. That analogy. But, and now... A little green, really more of Homer a Bailey, Johnny Cueto, else. you know, I mean, basically... They've got guys who've made it all the way up to AAA or the big leagues who've stayed healthy all the it's, way. It's, it's a kind of impressive. So it's a time of transition in Cincinnati, obviously. It's a Baseball America podcast. John Manuel and J.J. Cooper trying to keep it short today and failing miserably. <laughs> uh, we've got lots of email questions in the inbox at podcast at baseballamerica.com. One day we'll be like your cheesy local radio station and have the so-and-so inbox sponsored by whatever, but not yet. Um First, this one, Michael from Seattle writes uh, about the Orioles, and we have a cover story on the Baltimore Orioles in our last issue, so let's get to this podcast question. Again, from Michael in Seattle, he loves the podcast, and in the offseason, we rated the Orioles as having the third best minor league pitching, I believe that was actually Jim Callis in a uh, SBA, where the question was, if you just rated pitchers, how would this organization rate? I believe he went Rays, Yankees, Orioles. He thought this was surprising as an Orioles fan. I don't really see a lot of high ceiling guys in the system, even though Andy McPhail has certainly added depth. Uh, he thinks all the prospects have really big questions, and he went through the list. Chris Toman, track record. Uh, Rodimus Liz, terrible ratio. Does he have three quality pitches? Hayden Penn, inconsistent. Garrett Olson, number four guy. Corey Spoon, control issues. David Hernandez, control. Brandon Irby, awful in 07. Jake Arrieta, track record. Tim Bascom, uh, he didn't even have to put down his biggest negative, but he put age versus league track record and injury history. Uh, you got Troy Patton, who's now hurt, and Pedro Beato. He's like, I guess there's safety in numbers, but I don't see a lot of top-end guys here. Am I just a jaded Orioles fan, or is there something I'm not seeing? Uh, I guess, J.J., the way that I would answer Michael is I see a little bit of both in terms of why Jim ranked them so high. I do see some high-ceiling prospects, and I do see some depth. I think Chris Tillman is a high-ceiling prospect. Uh, the first year I did the West Coast in our draft coverage in 06, he was the top high school pitcher in California. He's already in double-A as a 19-year-old. He's being pushed. He's being pushed aggressively. Um, I, I wonder a little bit about that. I might be a little bit more careful with him. But Chris Tillman's got big-time upside. Brandon Irby's still a teenager. Memory serves. I think he's still just 19. He's off to a much better start this year. He's got big-time upside. Um, so they have a nice mix. Corey Spooner, Rodimus Lives are legitimate power arms. Jake Arrieta, in my mind, is not a frontline guy, but he's kind of a Andy Bennis type, number three or four, durable middle of the rotation starter. I know Andy Bennis was supposed to be better than that, but he wasn't. And then you got guys like Olsen and Penn, Bascom, even to my mind, Patton, who are more back end three, four, five guys. The real question marks to me are Liz and Beato, the two Latin American pitchers. Uh, those guys are could be really high ceiling guys, or they could be just be power arm middle relievers. Kind of like they're kind of like right. the Juan Cruises of this organization. You, if you dream, they're going to turn into uh, Johnny Cueto with the Reds. Think Johnny Cueto can be, uh, or they're going to be uh, you know number two starters type guys. But but they I also could be just more reality power arms is coming out of the pen. exactly. But I think the key is you got a lot of options. That's, that was here. the thing I was going to say is, is the thing that jumps out about this is, and I kind of you know. I don't agree with every assessment he has there, but yes, I mean, I would say there is, if you were ranking the top 10 pitching prospects in baseball right now, I don't know if I'd put, you know. I think Chris Tillman might check in at 9 or 10, but he's he, toward the back. He's if, toward the back. And he's the he only gets, one in my mind. Right. So that is, I would completely agree with that. We're not talking about, you know, I mean, you know, we were just talking about the Reds, but like, you know, when we, before the season when you're talking about Cueto Bailey, two yep. guys who were in AAA. Yep. Yeah, we're not talking about that. That's what the Orioles do not but, have, for sure. But, certainly. 
there aren't many teams out there. I mean, Indeed. when we're sitting here going Tillman, Liz, Penn, Olsen, Spoon, Hernandez, Irby, Arietta, Bascom, Patton, Viata, that's 11 guys. That's a lot. And the 11th guy, if you were ranking them, the 11th guy has a pretty good chance he's going to be a big leaguer. Yeah, it's probably Hernandez. Uh, he might be the 11th best guy out of all those guys. Or it might be Bascom. And those are all pretty interesting guys. I mean, you know, and Penn. that's the thing is, is that it, with pitching, numbers is strength in a lot Abs- of ways because, absolutely. I mean, the thing, it, it's, it's almost, it's, it's fun, but it's also, I mean, even like when we do this, following prospects and ranking prospects, pitchers, is always difficult because with pitchers, it can be something where something clicks or a guy picks up a pitch and he's a whole different pitcher. So yeah, if so you've got good right. arms... Or something clicks and he turns into Jack yeah. Cordero throwing 79 mile an hour fastballs right. exactly. and, then, and then he's but, done. That's, you know, that's the flip side. You know, but so, you know, if a guy picks up a pitch... If you, but you've got to have that good arm to start with. Right. You right. know, and so and they, have they have 11 guys. You know, you roll the dice of 11, and you're going to sure come up with a couple. And I'm sure we're missing a guy or two. They have some interesting bullpen guys, James Hoey or right. Rob McCrory or those kind of guys. It could also be interesting guys. Right. But it's uh, the, the, the Orioles. And I also, one, one other interesting part about this, I believe they're, they they had the, the hype machine pitching coach and Leo Mazzoni. Now they have Rich Kranitz as their big league pitching coach. That guy's good. He did a great job in Florida, and he was our uh, big league pitching coach of the year, assistant coach of the year, actually, in the major leagues a couple of years back. And he's already doing a great job. How about uh, Daniel Cabrera's last start? No walks after eight innings. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I can almost guarantee you that never happened under, uh, under Liam Mazzoni. So there's progress in Baltimore, and that was basically the, the whole key of our feature story was that there were actually some seeds of hope in Baltimore with guys like Adam Jones, the talent they added in the trade, the Eric Bedard trade of the Mariners, some of the other trades that uh, Andy McPhail made. And if they ever pulled the trigger on something with the Cubs, I think that would be even more, uh, on a Brian Roberts trade, even more talent to help them for the long term. And I, I do think that finally Baltimore has turned a little bit of a corner. Instead of just trying to get to 85 wins and hope everything breaks right, they actually have a plan, and it, uh, that's a good thing. One more question for today's podcast. We have lots of other ones, but we're just going to, I think, have time for one more. But send those into us at podcast at baseballamerica.com. Luke Good, one of our consistent uh, podcast uh, emailers, whose email address even has Baseball America in the name, which uh, probably is copyright infringement, but that's okay. We really should send him like a Gmail invite, actually, to get him off Yahoo and get him a Gmail. But uh, Luke says there's been a lot of talk about this next song, maybe a little too much talk about uh, Java Chamberlain, whether he should be in the rotation of the bullpen. What do you guys think? Should he conserve his priceless arm and stay in the pen, or should he be used for the maximum amount of innings in the rotation? And Java just took his first loss, uh, walk-off Johnson against the uh, – I'm sorry, walk-off Joker against the uh, against the White Sox. Uh, JJ, I've already weighed in on this in the prospect handbook. I'm a very big uh, Java Chamberlain advocate. All the scouts I talked to saw him starting in the Eastern League last year, thought he was the best – Minor league starter they'd seen in years. He was sitting 93, 96 as a starter. And when he didn't, he was 91, 93 early and then, you know, reached back for 96 when he wanted it. The slider was sharp. The changeup was a solid average pitch. The curveball was at least solid average. So he, he showed four average to plus pitches as a starter. And the arm works. It's clean, good arm action. Everything I've heard is this guy's going to be a number one starter. He clearly has makeup. Uh, everything tells me number one starter. But he's been so good in the bullpen. What do you think the Yankees should do with him? I think that Cashman's actually, I mean, from what they're planned to do is actually a very smart approach, which is, you know what? This guy we think is going to be a number one starter down the road. However, taking him from, I mean, what was it last year? 90 innings? Uh, something like that. 
taking him from that to putting him in the rotation where you're essentially going to say, okay, well, give us 200 is too much. And the the Yankees very much believe in that you don't want to step a guy up too much year after year. Well, this is where Hank Steinbrenner and Yankees fans, I think sometimes they get so focused on the day-to-day, which is popular. In New York, I mean, when you've got the back pages every day, it makes sense. But if you move Jabba to the rotation right now, and do it essentially, so let's say we're doing it seven weeks before the plan was to move right, right. eventually. Say the plan is, is that, you know what, come, we'll come, same, come July 1st, we'll start, you know, stretching them out, we're gonna put them in the rotation. How many more games are the Yankees probably, even if they do say, take their worst starter, pull them out, you know, and it doesn't really even affect the pen much, which it right. would, but let's say it doesn't. You know, is that going to be three, four games? Maybe. I mean, that's asking a lot if that's going to be actually three or four more wins. Oh, yeah. Probably not going to be that much. It's, it's going to be very – as an idea, starting him off with the bullpen and then stretching him out and getting him in the rotation is a great idea. How you do it practically, that's going to be tough. In the glare of New York with all that pressure right. and with the fact that but if you lose some games – say you set him with a triple A to stretch him out or double A to stretch him out – and you lose some games in the big leagues when guys like Ross Ollendorf or Eduardo Ramirez or uh, whoever in their middle relief blows a game, blows a lead. Well, that's going to come back well, and look bad on them. They're going to, that, it's all going to be like those are games that Jabba would have but, bridged tomorrow on a But how about, I mean, it may be tough, but why don't you stretch him out? Why don't, you know, he's right now he's your setup guy. Kind of tandem him in the big leagues? But basically... I mean, the reality of this is, like, if you've got Ian Kennedy going right now, you're probably not getting much more than five. On the yeah, day that Kennedy's going, you go, okay, we're going to go five, and Java's going to go three. And you know what? Three of Java? And, you know, if anyone would do that with uh, – if anyone would give up their innings to Java Chamberlain, it might be Ian Kennedy. Those guys have become very tight. So it's being but I'm saying in it's not even Ian here. Kennedy necessarily giving up his innings. Oh, no, absolutely. No, I know you're, I, no, I follow you for sure. I absolutely follow you. But uh, those guys are like brothers, according to Java Chamberlain, and those guys are very tight. So – uh, I, I, I actually kind of like your idea. Approach. Stretch them out in the big leagues as opposed to in the minor leagues. Um, I mean, who, at that point, you're just trying to get those two guys to be their best. Ian Kennedy, go out there and give us your four best because you know – or, or give us your five best because you know Jabba's coming in behind you. Give your five best. Jabba will give you three. And the reality is, is that – And if the next time Jabba gives you four, all the better. You four, can use four, the, the day before the day By the time after. he goes four twice, he stretched out until the next time you say, okay, well, you know what? Give us five, yep. maybe six. And then he stretched out, and you could do that where you're actually getting good innings out of them in the big leagues, I yep. mean, but you do it in a way that takes you, – you're looking at the long term, not right. what the standings are on April 15th. You're to looking at the long term and saying, this is going to be an ace for us for the years to come. And to me, the, the guys who uh, – the biggest key to that, again, in terms of being able to do that plan and keep that plan going is do Brian Bruni and these other guys in the bullpen – serve as that eighth inning guy. Because Jabba's proven he can be that eighth inning guy under pressure. Can anyone else you know, with the Yankees do that? So that's the real question, but I think you're, you're with me. Eventually he should be a starting pitcher. Oh, yeah. 2009, this guy, wire to wire, in my mind, should be a starting pitcher, I think. Um, he's got a chance to be... Uh, you know, in, that, in that regard, Hank, Stam- Stam- Hank Steinbrenner is right. He can be their Josh Beckett. He is the most likely person in their, in their organization... He fits the number one starter profile better than anyone, and, and that includes Jimmy Long. And there's no reason that come October he can't be Josh Beckett this year. Uh, you're right. Absolutely. I mean, there's nothing that pitching if in the If he's bullpen, managed correctly, you're right. There's nothing that pitching – I think he's more likely to be Josh Beckett in October, starting the year in the pen, than he is if he was starting out the there every five days. In the rotation in April right now. 
Right. You're right. Because I think there's I a agree. pretty good chance for his first full season in you know the big leagues that he'd be gassed. Coming. I, I completely agree. Uh, we'll wrap up the podcast uh, here at BaseballAmerica.com. J.J. Cooper and John Manuel. Uh, I guess the only other thing I wanted to add to, to any of that is uh, J.J., the, uh, uh, our draft coverage is coming up. Uh, today, though, also Friday, our prospect hot sheet. Uh, what's our prospect hot sheet teaser here? The teaser is, is it's going to be really hard for Matt Laporta not. We have we got the meeting is actually going to be coming up in about twenty minutes. Where he's five home runs for uh, five home runs Matt in the last Laporta. six days, two last night. I mean, basically he started the year he didn't homer the first forty five at bats. He's um, kind of made up for that. The guy's pretty good. You know, pretty Chris Volstad went seven scoreless and hit a homer last night. He'll probably figure out a way to be on there too. Not going to be on the hot sheet, but maybe, maybe blast from the past. Willie Glenn. Getting promoted to AAA. Oh, Good for and, Willie Glenn, former Indian baller. If you're, I mean, we're giving really a lot of little teasers here. Of course, the podcast, I have to work up the podcast and work up hot sheets, so <laughs> the podcast may not beat the hot sheet up. I'll be a little, little inside the workings of how this works. But uh, but Luke Hughes, the, you know, if you were talking about a guy, you know. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Nine home runs, most he'd ever had in a season. He's had five this week, so. Oi, 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 indeed, for Luke Hughes. So check back at BaseballAmerica.com for the Prospect Hot Sheet, Prospect Hot Sheet chat today, and, of course, every week, the Baseball America podcast. We'll be back Monday with a college podcast. Until then, from J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. So long, everybody.